0: Hello to the boater whose car smells like a neoprene wetsuit, and the river, and everybody notices but them. Welcome to Episode 2, Season 2 of Come Hell or High Water. I'm your host, Katie Gosses, and each week we talk to all manner of river folk about boating and the rivers they love boating on. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts, and consider becoming a patron on Patreon.com. Spring boating season is upon us, and with that said, be wary of log jams, don't boat alone, and pay attention to those water levels, guys. I have an amazing interview for you this week, with not one, but four amazing ladies who are about to embark on an approximately 1,000-mile expedition at the end of April. Without further ado, allow me to introduce Libby Toby, Brooke Hess, Haley Thompson, and Alia Payne. hi ladies how are we doing today
1: good Good. hi
0: (laughs) so um for those of you out there who don't know who i'm talking to would you guys like to introduce yourselves one by one and kind of explain who you are and start out with uh what's your river craft of choice if you're gonna go out and fun boat
1: um sure i'll start off we are the salmon river source to sea team we will be paddling the Salmon River from the source to the sea. So starting in Idaho, central Idaho, paddling over a 1,000 miles to the Pacific Ocean. This spring, as a conservation project promoting the removal of the four lower Snake River dams and a moratorium on the Stibnite Gold Project in an effort to save the rapidly dwindling salmon populations of the Snake River Basin in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I'm on the core paddling team. My name is Brooke Hess. I use she, her pronouns. And right now I'm coming in from Washoe lands in, um, the Nevada, Northern California area. And my favorite craft of choice, I have a bright, hot pink, sparkly carbon playboat that I love using for freestyle
2: (laughs) paddling. Nice. Nice. Well, I, I can go next. Uh, my name is Libby Toby. Um I am also one of the, the core paddling team. Um, I also use she, her pronouns. Um, and I am calling in from Missoula, Montana, uh, which is on the past, present, and future homelands of the Salish and Kalispell people. And my, my craft of choice, um, obviously the all-time craft of choice is the inflatable unicorn, but outside of the inflatable <laughs> unicorn, I will probably go for a... Uh, A Small Dagger Rewind, Um, great squirty, um, fun small boats for for small paddlers, kind of love them.
3: (laughs) I can go next, I'm Alia Payne, Um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm calling in from Washoe Land, up in the Truckee, California area. Um, I am also one of the paddlers and I am a rough guide and a filmmaker. Um, My craft of choice at this point, I would say for more technical whitewater, definitely gonna be trending towards a raft still otherwise i'll be swimming out of a kayak
4: a bit more than these other ladies and i guess that leaves me um my name's Haley thompson i use she her pronouns as well and i am calling in from inna inna ish lands also um known as south central alaska i'm the fourth member of our core paddling team and ooh. um you know, kind of like Libby, I really do enjoy a nice, slicey, wordy-feeling kayak. So um, these days I've been leaning towards Piranha Rickers. Brooke will laugh when I say this, but I also like the walk goat quite a lot. <laughs> um, that's a complicated relationship, but we're getting there with trust. Um, and yeah, thats that is that. Is that.
0: So how did each of you get into whitewater?
4: Um, I
1: got into whitewater because my dad used to kayak and I wasn't really interested in that first because there were no other kids my age kayaking. So then he taught me how to roll, which was like kind of a fun thing to do with my dad. But then he signed me up for the local youth kayaking club in Missoula, Zootown Surfers. And like, I didn't really, I still didn't really care about kayaking, but I really liked going and like, messing around with other kids my age, like on the river and the pond, like we played games and stuff. And that was super fun. So I think I was like 12 when I started doing that. And yeah, Zootown Surfers was a great program to start in. It was awesome.
2: Um, Yeah. So I I guess I started, um, I started rafting with my parents. We we would do multi-day raft trips when I was pretty young. Um, When I was in, I guess, junior high school, uh, one of my best childhood friends and I, her father taught us both how to paddle. Um, he had been sort of looking for an excuse to get back into the sport, and kind of saw us as his excuse, and so he <laughs> taught us how to roll. And uh, you know, we all started doing uh, paddling trips around the desert Southwest. And uh, yeah, she and I eventually uh went to college together, and it came up to Montana and started raft guiding together while we were in college. And it all just kind of spiraled from there. So I owe a lot to her and uh, and her father as well for getting me into into paddling.
0: Nice.
3: Yeah, I um. Again, unlike, I think, a lot of my river community, I did not grow up on the river. I don't really think I knew any river people really growing up. Um, I grew up on an island uh, in the Puget Sound, so I spent a lot of time on the ocean, um, going out in tiny little boats with my parents who were doing biology research out there.
0: That's cool. Yeah,
3: it was pretty sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I had a strong water connection, but I didn't really discover rivers until... I think probably like the main the main first time was um when I was 19 I took a semester off college and I was just like backpacking and climbing around South America on my own and kind of just by chance I ended up on the on the Fudalafu in Chile.
0: The Futaleufú River is 65 miles in length and is located in northern Patagonia and it's considered one of the premier whitewater rivers in the world. It's one of only two rivers to cross the 5,308-kilometer Chile-Argentina border, and the Fulufu headwaters can be found in the glacial snowmelt of the UNESCO-protected Los Alerces National Park in Argentina.
3: Um, And I had met up with a couple people there who insisted that we had to go do it, and I was like, I don't know, I'm kind of on a dirtbag budget here. Um, (laughs) But I'm so thankful that we went and just did a one-day trip on the Fudo, which was, like, pretty pretty mind-blowing, as people probably know, that's like one of the coolest rivers in the world. Um, So that kind of gave me the bug, and then eventually I ended up uh, connecting with someone who was a guide, and he was really encouraging, especially about being a female guide in the industry. And so I decided to go to guide school just for fun. Um, And so in 2017, uh, in a big high water year, I did guide school, and it was like total chaos. Everyone was swimming. (laughs) And when I went to guide school, I didn't know if I'd become a guide. But then, of course, I got totally sucked in. And here I am five seasons later, most recently guiding on the Tuolumne and just really loving it. And a couple of years ago, I started kayaking. And it's cool to, like, explore this whole new realm now, too.
0: Wow. What street cred to say that, like, yeah, the first river I ever really got on was the Fudalafu. <laughs> That's, pretty, uh... right?
2: <laughs> That's so like long. throwing down the aces right there. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, trying to follow that is hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, don't let Alia trick you. She's she's a baller. We've we've saddled the Southworth of together and I was wildly <laughs> impressed. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I grew up paddling. Um both of my parents were whitewater and paddlers kind of the old school variety where They made the fiberglass, scary, dagger-looking longboats in the garage kind of people. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, I think I was six when my mom started bribing me with ice cream to paddle in a straight line across the river. Um, And my folks wanted me to get into slalom racing at a pretty early age um, to try to make me a more technically uh, skilled and safer kayaker and that kind of consumed my life from the age of pretty much 11 until I was 18 and went off to college.
0: But yeah,
4: I I grew up probably in kind of throughout the lower 48 um, and then I got into competitions heading over to Europe and doing that as well um, and now I kayak because I love it, <laughs> not because I'm competing and it's the <laughs> best. <laughs>
0: Nice. That's always why you should be doing it is because you love it, not because of any other reason, <laughs> for sure. Totally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
4: um,
0: so could you guys talk more about this expedition and like where you're starting um, and what you are raising awareness for? In this next part, guys, the audio gets kind of choppy, but don't worry, it only lasts for a few seconds. Don't know why, don't know how, can't figure it out. It is what it is.
2: Um, We are undertaking this expedition that is going to be roughly a thousand miles. Um, We are starting from the headwaters of the Salmon River in central Idaho, and we'll be skiing as much of those headwaters as possible and then transitioning into uh, whitewater boats to paddle um, three of the main forks of the salmon. So the middle fork, uh, the main salmon, and the, the south fork of the salmon.
0: Oh, that's a trip of a lifetime! Like, uh, so, how are you starting the skiing portion of it? Is it just finding like the tallest peak, or?
2: Yeah, I think we're it, we're gonna have to see with this snowpack. We're gonna have to see what has <laughs> snow. eh? Um, yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> we're on a low snow <laughs> yeah. year for sure.
2: <laughs> it's it's gonna be interesting to see what we what we're working with snow wise once we we get to late April. But ideally, yeah, we'll, we'll try and ski some of the bigger peaks within uh, the headwaters, the watersheds we're paddling. And then, you're, you're right, it is a total trip of a lifetime. We'll get to paddle those three forks of the salmon all the way down to the confluence with the Snake River. And then once we get to the confluence with the snake, we'll be switching into sea kayaks and paddling the rest of the 600 miles or so out to uh, the Pacific Ocean at Astoria. Um, so, you know that entire course of the journey. You know we're we're following this sort of out migration of the juvenile salmon, trying to time the journey roughly with their sort of their push out to the ocean. Um, and so we we think that's a pretty cool metaphor. Um, and yeah, you know, like Brooke also mentioned, you know we're we're trying to raise awareness for the salmon and steelhead decline in the broader Snake River Basin that you know the Salmon River watershed is is a piece of. Um, And, you know, these kind of these big opportunities that we're trying to highlight um, are the removal of the lower Snake River dams. And again, the the prevention of the Stibnite gold mine in the South Fork headwaters. And, you know, there's we've seen so much momentum, both political and popular, building up around, you know, taking advantage of these big opportunities. So, yeah, we think we're, we're hopeful just to add some momentum behind those causes. Um, be able to highlight some of the other good work that's being done out there by so many incredible organizations and people.
0: Absolutely. Um, I know that the the comment period for the Klamath River dams coming down is open right now. And I mean, it, it seems like dam removal in the last 10 years has just gathered steam a crazy amount. And it's awesome. Because yeah, for the so the salmon runs, and all of that, it's, it's really necessary.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, especially in the, the context of you know, the a rapidly changing climate, right? I mean, we're we're starting to see conditions that are going to be really challenging, you know, not only for the survival of these fish, but for all of the species and communities and people that depend on those anatomous fish species. So, yeah, it, it does seem like a, a a cause that's gaining a lot of momentum, and it's really, really cool to see.
0: Yeah, uh, hopefully you guys hit the salmon run at the right time and get to really, like, paddle in that, which Sound that would be incredibly cool.
2: <laughs> oh, it would be. <laughs> Fingers
0: crossed. <laughs> now, what's going on with the Stibnite gold mine that you were talking about,
2: Brooke? Do you wanna do you wanna take this one as the one who wrote wrote a rad article on it?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm not totally up to date on the current um, what's going on with the Stibnite gold mine and the comment period and everything. For that information, you should visit Idaho Rivers United. They will provide you with the like day up-to-date today information on it. But basically, in Yellow Pine, Idaho, there's a gold mine that is like a previous gold mine. And formerly a a gold mining company, formerly known as Midas Gold, now they have rebranded themselves to be called Perpetual Resources. They are coming in and they want to reopen this gold mine and also expand it. And they want to, they're mining for gold, antimony, other things that we need for our cell phones. So they are branding it as being very helpful for technology and all these things. But the problem with this gold mine is it's right smack dab on the center of the headwaters of the East Fork of the South Fork of the Salmon, which flows into the South Fork Salmon, which flows into the Snake, which flows into, or it flows into the main Salmon, then into the Snake, then into the Columbia. So it's at this headwaters of this major watershed, this major river drainage. And what they're planning on doing is they're basically taking the entire East fork or the South fork of the salmon, and they're going to divert it so that they can dig and mine underneath the riverbed. So they're going to divert it. And it's crazy. And in order to like um, uh, make an effort to not, kill all the salmon populations and all the fish populations they're making this this fish tunnel like not a fish ladder but an actual tunnel that the fish will go through and it sounds like a cool idea but the problem is that it's never been done in a river before so it's not proven to work and to allow fish to pass through we don't know that the fish will use it in order to be able to access their headwaters we just we don't have the data to prove that they will
0: That sounds crazy. And also with the options of like, you know, the way the river changes and moves. I I don't see that being feasible.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then they're going to mine under the riverbed and then put this like, I don't know what material it is, but some sort of tarp material to like cover up the tailings under the riverbed (laughs) and then put the river back. no you
0: can't do that that's not how that works (laughs) yeah so they're they're saying well this like
1: this tarp will protect it from the mine tailings going into the river but this area is known to have avalanches this area is known to have earthquakes how do we know that this material will protect it for 100 years 150 years we don't we just don't know
0: oh my god
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's all a bad
0: idea all of it
1: (laughs) It's crazy. And they know that the there's like there's legal limits for um, water temperature increases for the fish species in these rivers. And mm-hmm. in the draft environmental impact statement for the um, for this mine, which is something that under NEPA law, which is one of the environmental protection laws in our mm-hmm. country, you have to do a draft environmental impact statement or an environmental impact statement to show what your environmental impact will be. And in their environmental impact statement, they show, showed that they will be increasing water temperature in the river above a certain threshold that will harm the fish species in the river.
0: I can't imagine how anyone in the EPA would even look at this plan and say, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Like, I feel like this would be instantly nixed, but I guarantee they have a lot of money and a lot of lawyers, unfortunately, and that's how that works in this country. So, so I'm glad you guys are raising awareness for this because this is unbelievable.
4: Yeah. I want to augment what Brooke's saying as well from, from just like a salmonid species survival perspective. You Know this is a highly sensitive naturalist species where, like Brick said, you know, water temperature matters, oxygen levels in the water column matter, macro and micro large woody debris like gravel bars that's where salmon lay their reds. You know, if you replace all of those natural factors at the very headwaters, at the very point where most of these species are working their way back to, if you replace all of that. Of a metal culvert, yeah. <laughs> um, y- you know, you really are eliminating these reproductive success factors that are totally mm-hmm. critical to species survival, and Absolutely. they're using this this fish tunnel theory that y- fish tunnels are like used in between reservoirs, not in yeah. flowing rivers. Yeah, <laughs> it's completely unproven and untested, and. And a huge gamble for such yeah, a critical and if you, species.
0: If you're not making them big enough, you're creating, um, oh, what is it called when it causes the spin of the water? Uh,
4: turbulence, yeah. Yeah, you're
0: creating turbulence, turbulence in those tunnels. And then, I mean, yeah, like you were talking about, the, um, the, macro, the mi- micro and macro organisms, a lot of those rely on that riverbed to attach, for attachment, for reproduction, um, all of that stuff. So if you take away all of that, you're going to have a a pretty serious problem with that. And it's going to mess with your, um, it's going to mess with uh, just your silt layers and all of that as well. There's so much wrong with it. (laughs) Um, So how did this idea come about to do this expedition? Did you guys, um, did you guys come to source to see with it or did they reach out to you or? Um... (laughs) (laughs) Brooke, Brooke, do you want to go or should I? (laughs) Funny
1: story. So, Libby and I were quarantining together during the first, like, COVID pandemic, March 2020 um, quarantine days. And so we were doing a lot of locksaw laps together because we were living in the same house and we were quarantine buddies so we could run the locksaw together and then go home and not see anyone else.
0: That sounds like a terrible way to spend quarantine. I mean, God, right? it was
1: <laughs> we did okay for ourselves <laughs> but we got the dumb idea to call up Tyler bratt and borrow his duo his dynamic duo and we took it down the locksaw at maybe like borderline too high of flows to be taking a duo <laughs> down the locksaw
0: what are we talking um, here like
1: <laughs> i think it was like 16000 it? cfs
0: oh, yeah that's pretty stout like pretty <laughs>
1: <high>. <laughs> But it worked out. Like we didn't end up swimming. We like definitely got a little bit worked in a couple <laughs> holes, but like it was totally fine. We were fine. We totally styled it. <laughs> we had a safety kayaker who definitely couldn't keep up with us. Like, quite <laughs> um, but basically, we were like, "Oh my god!" We were just like high on life after this, and we were like, "We should totally do all the South Salmon. that so be so sick. We could do anything. We cannot do anything. Let's be realistic." <laughs> but we, then we were like, let's make a video of duoing the South Salmon and do it as a like promotion of stopping the Stibnite mine. And these ideas kind of spiraled and spiraled. And then we were going to duo the Salmon River from the source to the sea, which is maybe the dumbest idea of all these ideas. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and yeah, it turned into... Kayaking the Salmon River from the source to the sea, not in duos, because we would definitely kill each other if we duoed over a thousand miles.
0: <laughs> if you had to spend that much time in a duo with each other, probably yeah, <laughs>
1: <That'd>
4: be horrible, <laughs> horrible idea. <laughs> separate kayaks are good for mental
0: yeah.
2: health. Yes, <laughs> yeah,
0: separate boats for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, and and so you're getting sponsorship and kind of trying to. Um, trying to get it all organized that way uh, how much of a support crew do you guys have for this trip because i imagine you have to have people giving you food drops and all sorts of stuff right yeah.
4: we have a
1: huge support crew yeah. yeah we should mention first off we're working with rivers for change which is a nonprofit that um organizes source to sea trips with the goal of having them be for conservation or for some sort of change some sort of goal in mind and we're also working with Idaho Rivers United so that we know that our like policy and our speaking and our science is all correct because they know the best um, but yeah we have a huge huge support team does someone else want to talk about them
2: yeah sure I mean this and again to to Brooks' point, I mean, I, I Idaho Rivers United and Rivers for Change have been incredible partners, and you know, through them have come a number of other folks who've sort of gotten looped in on the logistics side of things and the communication side of things. Um, and so we have, you know, a couple of folks at this point who are helping manage sort of the social media side of things. Um, you know, some assistance on coordinating volunteers, uh, as well as some amazing folks helping us with sort of permitting logistics. Um, yeah, so it, it really, it's its turned into an incredible team uh, that I think as we were floating down the locksaw trying not to swim, like certainly I <laughs> could never have <laughs> could never have conceptualized what this was going to turn into and the incredible support that, that we would have gotten along the way. So yeah, huge shout yeah. out to everyone that we've been working with and who's volunteering. It's, it's an amazing group.
0: That's pretty incredible that it turned from like a like, hey, we should do this to now it's like coming to fruition two years later. And, you know, it's become this amazing project. And then, I mean, I think you guys should be really proud of what you've done and what you're going to be doing. It's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, thanks. I definitely at the start thought it would be like Libby and I going kayaking with our GoPros and making like a shitty two minute video. Um, and that's definitely not what it is. No, it's way bigger
0: than that, which is pretty cool. Uh, what's been the hardest part logistically for you guys? So I, I think,
2: you know, to, to sort of tag onto the earlier comments, I think the hardest logistical piece has also probably been the biggest blessing in that it, it's, it's that we've gotten so much support and that there are so many incredible people and organizations and companies who have reached out you know, asking how they can support this this incredible trip um, and this, this really important cause. And so I, I think the biggest logistical piece, and again, huge shout out here to Rivers for Change um, and Danielle, uh, who is founder of Rivers yes, for Danielle. Change, who has done an incredible job at sort of organizing, you know, people and logistics um, and helping get all that support and energy to the places it needs to go. Um, Cause certainly She's the official brain would- behind the operation.
0: <laughs> yeah, amazing. Queen. Who's got a good river story for me? And we can have more than one.
1: Oh god, I have some... Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hear How the one that involves... <laughs> Do you want to hear the one that involves poop and
2: pigs?
0: Yes, <laughs> absolutely.
2: Might <laughs> you might have to cut it out.
0: <laughs> appropriate isn't necessarily what we do here so <laughs> well,
2: here we go. <laughs> so um in
1: 2017 i went on my first trip to uganda to train freestyle i was training to make the u.s freestyle kayak team which i did eventually um qualify for after this trip but when you're kayaking in africa it's not uncommon to get the shits and just, like, a little bit of diarrhea here and there. Like, not a big deal. And so, like, my rule for kayaking is, like, if, I, if I'm, like, strong enough to eat breakfast, then, like, I can go kayaking that day. So, like, this one morning, I had eaten maybe, like, half of a muffin. And I was, like, yeah, sweet. Like, I've had the shits for three, three days, but, like, I'm fine.
0: Giardia be damned. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not doing great.
1: <laughs> so... I went kayaking. I went kayaking because the water was really high, and so this wave called Malalu was in, which only comes in, like, every once in a while because the river has to be super high.
0: Malalu wave is located on the White Nile in Uganda, which has a length of 2,300 miles and is one of the two main tributaries of the Nile River, the other one being the Blue Nile. The name comes from the coloring due to clay carried in the water.
1: So we were paddling in Malalu, and I was having a great time, and then... Just like doing blunts, back blunts, and then like all of a sudden it hit me. And you know, like,
0: oh no, when it hits you,
1: like, Uh you know what that feeling is. You like, it hits you, and you're like, oh, like, I gotta go. So I like sprinted out of my kayak, like, threw it on shore, ran into the bush, and I was like on this island in the middle of the White Nile because Malawi was formed by two islands in the middle (laughs) of the river. It's now underwater, unfortunately, because the the Isimba Dam um, covered it, flooded it. But, okay, so I was on this island, ran into the middle of the island, and ripped my shorts down, and essentially started peeing out of my butthole, as you do when you're (laughs) hiking in (laughs) Uganda. And I was just, like, having a really horrible time, crying a little bit, you know, really feeling bad about myself. And then these five giant pigs come, like, sprinting (sighs) out of the bush, like, straight towards me. And I was like cool, 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 cool. Like, my pants are at my ankles. I have shit coming out of my butthole. I'm crying and now there's giant pigs coming after me. So then I start, like, crawling around, kind of like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, like, picking up rocks and throwing them at these pigs that are coming towards me. And I'm just, like, screaming at them to, like, leave me alone. Like, I'm really not having a good time. You know, like, pleading with these pigs. Um... And so, yeah, this is my really horrible, self-deprecating story. Eventually, the pigs left, and I sort of cleaned myself up and went back to kayaking and pretended like nothing happened when I saw my <laughs> friends and they asked how I was doing.
0: <laughs> For a second, when you started this story, I thought you said that you were gonna, the, like you had had an accident in your kayak, and that took a way funnier turn, so... <laughs> <laughs>
4: That
1: would also be killer. funny though.
4: Going <laughs> right back to paddling. <laughs> yep. Classic.
2: Nothing happens. It's what happens when we let Brooke tell the first story?
4: <laughs> yeah. Now, now we're all
3: screwed.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's hard to follow that.
3: <laughs> we're gonna know each other so well by the end of this trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. We <laughs> hey, yeah, have only gonna be jokes from here on out, Alia.
1: Don't worry. <laughs>
2: On on that note, I I think it's pretty wild that I I have not actually met Alia or Haley, which Mm -hmm. feels like a crazy thing to be, uh, yeah, launching on the second edition. The first time we're going to meet is when we're all, like, loading up and getting our shit together to, like, go to the (laughs) put-in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Alia and Haley, how did you guys get um, brought into this trip?
2: Um, Alia, Uh, do you want to go first?
3: Yeah, so that's a good question. I... I got brought on like definitely post uh post duo stage of this trip um, everyone was going to be in their own crafts by this point. <laughs> um, and I think I think kind of the main the main thing that ended up bringing me on board was that I'm a filmmaker. Um, but yeah, so Brooke and I Brooke and I met taking a swiftwater rescue course a number of years ago. Um, And I think that they were just looking for a woman, uh, someone with a science background. I have a geology degree, um, a filmmaker, and someone who is a whitewater person. And so (laughs) there definitely are other people who fit that bill, but not that many. Um, And so it lined up really nicely. And yeah, I've spent a lot of time now talking to Libby over Zoom, but it is kind of crazy that we've never actually met in person. Like, I already feel like I know you really well, but um, yeah, so that's been really exciting for me to be able to join. And like, I think that uh, Brooke and Libby, like you guys right from the start have like brought so much knowledge, in-depth knowledge of like the science of this area and like knowledge of this geographic region. And I'm just really excited to kind of bring, bring a camera to that and be able to like make an impactful piece of art, hopefully with like some sort of bigger environmental story to it and one interesting thing about this journey is that while we're on this journey there's a lot of politics going on like during that uh two and a half three-ish month period that's really important and so that's why it's important that we have this really awesome social media team kind of driving action while we're on the water um so that's kind of like one part of it is the expedition and all of the action that's going on while we're there which is like a huge part of why we're doing this and then I'm kind of thinking from of it from like a slightly different perspective in that I'm thinking about making this film that's going to come out, you know, after some of these important environmental decisions may have already um, come out uh, in Washington. And so in some ways this may end up being like a environmental success or failure story, um, depending on.
0: Yeah. Depending on how it comes out in the end. So. Yeah.
3: And like, definitely these are going to be ongoing battles. And so I don't think that anything's going to come to a final conclusion, but um, I'm just really hoping to, you know, profile these incredible women and like use our story of of change and like watching watching each of these women progress throughout this like really epic slog fest. <laughs> um, <laughs> and those personal stories to help bring people onto the river and like see it through our eyes and actually feel what it could be like to be in these places and how important they really are.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I now want to watch that movie. So (laughs) keep me posted on when that's finished.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of like the deeper, deeper backstory is that at the very, well, maybe not like the very inception, not like the day of the duo inception, um, but shortly thereafter, the goal was originally to have a four-woman team. And amongst our incredible support crew is a woman named Hess McEnroe, um, who was originally, you know, slated to be a part of this expedition. And then fortunately, slash heartbreakingly, got, you know, the most baller job and had to run with that opportunity. Um, And just from a safety standpoint, you know, When when you're doing expeditionary paddling or expeditionary anything, like, three is a pretty good baseline number, but four is pretty great in case something happens, Um, which is just a very realistic um, possibility. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've been good friends with Brooke now for About a decade, Um, and we've shared a lot of our gooniest and maybe I I use the word proudest moments like with a grain of salt. (laughs) But um, (laughs) so um, we've known each other for a while, and we know that we grew really well together on and off the river. Um, I had the joy of meeting Alia last, I want to say like last winter, um, paddling in the Coloma area, but kind of when things really started to. Come together more clearly was when um, Brooke and I just spent an incredibly long chunk of time um, with our really good friend Nina um, on the Futaleufu River in Chile. And while we were down there, you know, Brooke was really neck deep in the planning stages of this expedition, and and it was just really cool to hear her talking about everything, and and we would talk about things and. I also have, um, I have a background in fisheries biology and um, fishery sustainability, and and I've also kind of transitioned from, I was in the Coast Guard for a big old chunk of time, and I recently transitioned to my work as an artist and a graphic designer full-time, and so that, like, has given me a huge degree of flexibility in my life, um, and sort of, as as things started to sort of crystallize for us brooke was like well you know do you think you might have the flexibility to join us and bring us back up to four four person team and at first i was kind of like oh my gosh that'd be so cool haha and then (laughs) and then breck and livy and Holly were like no really like it took them like one 20 minute zoom call to have me like just drooling over the whole project (laughs) and be like what oh my gosh hiking with these rad gals like the I mean to me free-flowing rivers sustainable salmon populations like that's a no-brainer that's that's what you make art for that's what you do the stuffer fest in honor of and it's like all um, the best
0: things in one trip yeah it honestly
4: just made a lot of sense and, and like Alia, you know, I really believe that to make science and to make Indigenous knowledge accessible to wider audiences, you need, you need to present it as an art form. Um, and whether that is storytelling, whether that is cinematography, whether that is, you know, visual arts, you know, music, you, you have to make it something that people feel. Um, Because people just don't register with, like, you know, as much as we as core team members enjoy digging into EISs, not everybody (laughs) is on that program. What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, it's so fun. It's light (laughs) reading. And sometimes it is heavy. Like, sometimes it makes people sad. But it's kind of, like, the same way. Like, nobody really wants to read a sad scientific report but people will listen to a sad song or watch a film that makes them cry because it they we want to feel things we just want to feel things in a way that we relate to it um and so I think I think we really like as a team we are all bringing these skills together that you know like Libby said earlier we're jumping on this train and there's momentum behind dam removal and if we can add to that with with this, Kind of unified, see that we have, and then we want
0: to. Yeah, absolutely. And just so you know, uh, if you're gonna have Alia on that trip, as someone who has been on a several-week trip with a geologist, you're gonna get a lot of rock puns. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: don't take it the yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> This sounds like such a fun trip, and I, like I wish I could join you because I'm one of those people that when I'm on the river. I look at the wildlife and I'm like, oh, look at this caddis fly casing and all of that stuff, and it just sounds like this is going to be such a fun trip. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, when do you guys take off on your journey?
2: So we we are going to be launching. Um, we're aiming to launch on Marsh Creek uh, the 29th of April, and so we we will likely ski, you know, the, the day or two leading up to that launch date. So. Yeah, the 27th, 28th, we'll hopefully start skiing. And then, yeah, 29th of April, we'll, we'll actually put on the water.
0: That's so exciting. It's coming up so soon. So <laughs> and fast. how how much time are you guys allotting for this trip to happen?
2: We are anticipating if if all goes perfectly according to plan and nothing hits the fan at all along the way, which is super <laughs> unlikely, uh, we, obviously should be... <laughs> <laughs> we should be hitting the Pacific Ocean july 14th or so give or take a couple days um yeah so right in that window so two and a half months ish
0: wow now are you guys going to take off take any time off during that period like rest days or because i feel like for your mental health that might be a necessity
2: (laughs) we we do have some uh, health (laughs) too yeah also (laughs) maybe yeah who knows which is the greater of the the two on this slog um We, we do have some rest days built in. Uh, we're working to, you know, host a handful of events along with partner organizations along the way. And so we, we do have some kind of days built in here and there that are events and we'll be on land and we'll be paddling. Um, so we will have a bit of a chance to sort of rest and recoup along the way. Yeah.
0: What are some of those events that you guys are going to be doing?
2: Ooh, let's see. Um, well, we're hoping for a uh, launch event here in Missoula before we leave, um, and then there will be an event in Salmon, Idaho. That's um, sort of a collaborative—you know, music and art um, and letter writing party. I uh, will be using part of the event to get folks writing postcards uh, specifically to Murray and Inslee's offices out in Washington um, in support of their, their upcoming draft uh, salmon and dams plan. And then see, we have an event in Riggins that sort of coincides with the big river festival uh, that folks are hosting there.
0: Big water blowout.
2: Uh-huh. Big water blowout. Yeah. Yep. That's the one.
0: I may see you guys there. That would be awesome to oh, run really? into you guys there. Yeah. Awesome.
2: <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, maybe we'll have to do like a part two or an addendum onto another episode, a future episode, where we like catch up with you guys.
2: Oh, I think we be do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be very cool. <laughs>
2: Um, I, yeah, and then I, I guess there there are a handful more events kind of downstream, I believe one in McCall, Idaho, um, and then there is supposed to be a big sort of community float uh, in Lewiston, Idaho, which we're we're partnering with uh, Nimipu Protecting the Environment and Save Our Wild Salmon to sort of put on this big sort of flotilla um, near uh, the town of Lewiston. Yeah, and then there, there are a handful more events coming downstream with a, a, a wrap-up event in Astoria once we hit the ocean.
0: That's, that's going to be amazing. How can people donate or follow your trip?
2: Oh, if
1: you text SALMON in all caps to 53555, you can make a tax deductible donation to Idaho Rivers United slash our trip to help us out and help us make this film really make the biggest impact that it can.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I assume you guys have ins- an Instagram and all of that. Uh, what are those handles?
1: Yeah, our Instagram is at salmon source to see. We also have a Facebook page. If you look up, what's our Facebook page's name? It's, um, it's under it's the Grand, the grand, the grand salmon. salmon. The Grand Salmon. Yeah. Okay. We also have a Twitter, but we're
2: not doing a very good job of keeping up with it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we don't have any Twitter people on board.
0: I feel like the Twitterverse is its own thing, so yeah, understandable. <laughs>
1: hell, and our yeah, website see. is um, com. so if you have any questions, if you want to get involved, if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, if you want to sponsor us, um, we're always looking, we're definitely looking for more food sponsors right now, we don't want to go hungry.
0: Do you hear that, Mountain House? Come on, guys, like, get in on this. <laughs> yeah, come
4: on. <laughs> Specifically, mac and cheese. If we could talk about that,
0: I'll just send you guys an entire case of mac and cheese, and like, oh
2: my (laughs) god, you're making my dreams come true. (laughs) We'll put your name on the side of our
1: boat, (laughs) or just a picture of your face on the side of our boat.
0: (laughs) Whatever, whatever you want, want. I, that would be worth a case of mac and cheese for me honestly
1: Hell yeah.
0: <laughs> well it's been awesome talking to you guys and thank you so much for sitting down with me today and taking the time and uh, we look forward to following your trip and uh, everybody get out there and donate and help these girls to achieve this trip
2: thank you for having us awesome thank, thank you, you so much we really
0: appreciate it thank you absolutely Okay guys, this is the part of the podcast that I like to call Reading Water, where I read your river stories that you send in to me. This story comes from Bobby Miller, and it starts out, Joe Stumfel, Ben Dunham, and i met a rainy mid-December morning at the Blackwater Takeout in Hendricks, West Virginia, where the Blackwater meets the Dry Fork. Our goal was to run Otter Creek, a steep tributary of the Dry Fork, and the Blackwater was going to be our backup if Otter was too low. We checked the gauge, and Otter was low, but doable. We really wanted to run it, so we headed out to the put-in. On our way, the temperature started to drop and the rain changed to snow. There was a coating of snow on the ground when we arrived at the parking lot at the put-in. We went down the creek and had a lot of fun despite the low water, the cold temperatures, and the snowstorm that continued throughout the day. We reached the dry fork as darkness was setting in and had several miles to paddle to reach our takeout. The temperature continued to drop, the wind was blowing hard upstream, and the snow was flying sideways directly in our faces. Our dry suits were frozen solid by the time we reached Ben's SUV. Unfortunately, his doors had frozen shut, leaving us shivering and unsure of what to do. We saw a light on in the church down the street. We ran down to the church and walked in to find the congregation preparing for their Christmas Nativity performance. They welcomed us in and allowed us to warm up. After a while, Ben headed back to his SUV to see if he could get the doors to open, and he returned a few minutes later with good news. We were able to get our dry clothes out of his vehicle and the people of the church allowed us to change into warm clothes in the back room. They fed us and invited us to stay for the performance. Afterward, we thanked them before tying our boats on and heading to the put-in. By this point, close to 8 inches of snow had accumulated and it was still coming down. When we arrived back at the put-in, Joe's brake drums from his parking brake were frozen and his truck would not move. We drove out of the Otter Creek Wilderness area and headed into Elkins, the closest town. Thankfully, the Walmart was still open, and we purchased a propane torch and a hammer. We headed back to Joe's truck, and Ben Ben slid underneath it to heat his brake pads and pound on them with the hammer to break the ice. Eventually, Joe's wheels were able to move and we drove out of there. The roads of Canaan Valley were terrible, so progress was slow, but the three of us took our time and made our way towards home. We all arrived at our houses close to 7 as the morning light was starting to appear thus ending the journey of the three unwise men around Christmas. And that story came from Bobby Miller. And I have to say, Bobby, I like to boat in the wintertime, but that sounds a little too cold even for my tastes. Do you think that you have a river story that's worth telling? Email it to me at comehellrhighwater at gmail.com. And who knows, I might use it on the podcast. Well, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks to all of you who take the time to listen and subscribe. It means the world to me. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and tell your friends about the show. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Katie Gosses, and the theme music was written and produced by the band Buzzard's Glory, who you can check out on Spotify. Now go out and boat, and we'll see you next time. Come hell or high water. (laughs)